This episode was brought to you by Nail It and Scale It, the world's leading fast growth program for business. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Unstoppable. And today's guest is Amy Ladine. Now, I got that right. The first role, I got that wrong. But that's completely okay because she just called Brisbane, Brisbane. Uh, and Amy, you have an incredible story. You have a number of businesses, Lean Body Consulting, Curls and Way Training. Um, and you have also been in the Navy in the, for a number of years. And you have an incredible backstory. So first of all, welcome to Unstoppable. Thank you for having me. I've been sweating bullets, honestly, this whole afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really excited. First of all, you're in Florida, so I'm going to assume it's nice and warm over there, yeah? It is. It's really warm. Yeah. And uh, secondly, your story is absolutely incredible. So something I always ask all of my guests, um, it's a little bit of a curveball because it's a, it's a question that I, I hate being asked personally. Um, but I would be curious to know, let's say you're at a dinner party with seven other people, eight other people, and you don't know anybody there. And then all of a sudden, as everybody sits down, conversation is a little bit mixed and muddled, but everything goes quiet. The attention turns to you and somebody says in front of everybody, so Amy, what do you do? How do you answer that question? I am a mindset coach that, I mean, by default fat loss, I use that as the, the, the front door, but the back door is I'm a mindset coach to help you up level and change your identity. That's so interesting that you say that. Um, cause it's like what Buddha says, he says, um, teach them the illusion until they're ready for the truth. Um, yes. and oftentimes people will come to you. I'm assuming very similar to why people come to me. Oftentimes people come to me looking for business and money making advice, but then they get in the door and they get behind the scenes like, Oh shit, it's all about, uh, it's all about me. <laughs> and totally. And as you notice this as well, like when you do a lot of work on the mindset, the other things that people are looking for in life, they come as natural consequences. Absolutely. Yes. So where does your story begin? Now, I know your story goes back here and I know it's quite a personal one um, because I know in your earlier years, you, you had a really interesting life. Uh, what, what age was it when you actually joined the Navy? So I actually worked as I did boot camps for the Navy. So I was not active oh, duty. Right. That's okay. So I was in active duty, but it was my way in my, I had a husband that was active okay. duty. So gotcha. I was a, a, a Navy wife for 15 years and it was, you know, the, you know, I'd lost 90 pounds, the good old fashioned way. Um, you know, he'd be deployed and I was a very overweight military wife, you know, and I, I had a, luckily I did have kind of an aha moment. My, I had a toddler, I was at the park and I looked around and I noticed that the overweight women were sitting on the bench. They weren't like actively playing with their kids mm. and the active moms were fit and they were pushing their kids on the swings. And I realized I was the park bench mom and wow. I didn't want to be the park bench mom. And so I went home that day and, you know, signed up for Weight Watchers and, took me a year and a half, you know, of just slowly chipping away at it nutritionally. And then from there, the evolution was I, I fell in love with the gym. And my since my husband was in the military, I'm like, if we're going to move a lot, I need to find a job that can kind of move with me. With so you, yeah. I was the person that when someone failed the PRT test, they came to my class. And what's the PRT test for those people who don't know? It's called, it's the physical readiness test where they have to run a mile and a half in a certain amount of time. They have to do push-ups and sit-ups. It's, it's honestly a joke. I know they've started to try to evolve it over the years because these guys just, they, they run like bats out of hell just for the one time sake to pass it. And then 
you know, they're not really uh, conditioned. So I know they've tried to restructure it over the last decade because it was, they called it the rope and choke. They measured their, their neck and their waist circumference. And then that decided if you were going to need to come into like the PRT system. Yeah. Wow. Holy yeah. gosh. Well, um, I think I would have probably been one of your clients if that was the case. And so <laughs> how, how old were you when you, you started doing this? Oh gosh, I was 23. I mean, I got married really young, you know, which is probably part of my story of just, you know, looking for love, you know, and uh, got married really young and did that life for, you know, 15 years until I had an affair and uh, basically broke up my marriage, broke up, you know, his marriage. Um, and, And from there, that was kind of my, I was at that point, a single mom, and I needed something else besides trading dollars for hours. So I was doing personal training and doing these boot camps. And that's when I moved online to doing online coaching. So this was back in, you know, 2009 before yeah. Facebook or anything was really, we were on forums back then. Yeah, right. Wow. Yeah. How incredibly honest of you. And so was that Curls and Way? That was the online? Yes. Curls and Way. And it went and- from zero to I was making about 550,000 with it a year. Now it was wow. before we had a really crazy, um, you know, flood of coaches, you know, back then, it, I was almost embarrassed to tell people I was an online coach, because no one understood how that worked. Because um, like, how are you an online coach for like training and nutrition? You know, so this is back in 2009. Yes, yes, true. There were very, very few weight loss coaches, fitness coaches doing it online at that point. Yes. And so you've now grown that into a seven-figure business. So we're now 10 years into that. And how has yes. that evolved over time? Oh, well, me, so the, the man that I had the affair with, so he was my best friend. Um, and, it, you know, I share this part just because this is kind of how I learned my hustle. I love your I, honesty. This is great. <laughs> Most people would hide this stuff. So let's, let's, let's unpack that. Well, so, you know, he was my best friend. And, you know, looking back now, having lots of therapy, I realized, the vo- you know, for me, it was, you know, probably getting the affirmations from him, the validation that maybe I hadn't gotten. And I, and it wasn't from a romantic side because I was sexually abused as a kid. So I always say that had he not been giving me the accolades of like, I'm doing a good job business wise, yeah. it would have been red flags and I would have been like, get away from me. But it started with, I started a blog for him. And then I restructured part of his back end of the system where instead of giving clients a plan, we had a food calculator and it was always and you know, made me feel good. So it was like, I think you put down your, you know, your guards and we became best friends and knew we had feelings for each other. But growing up, I was Mormon and he was like born again, Christian. Like we knew that that was not something that I mean, goes against everything that we're believing. So we thought, well, let's just all become friends. Like our whole family, like their fa- his, you know, his wife and oh, wow. my husband, and, um, you know, we ended up going to a football game together. He was a football fan and I was too. And, and that night we, we drank and slept together. And I ended up pregnant with our now daughter. Wow. One time there. Wow. Really crazy. So in the meantime, my husband, who was in the military, was actually in a, um, a rehab for being addicted to Oxycontin. They, like in the active duty, they had gotten him kind of addicted. So yeah, he wow. comes home and says, hey, you know, I'm, I'm finally ready to work on the marriage and I'm about to tell him that oh I'm pregnant. God. So that was, you know, I mean, looking back now, I mean, in all seriousness, it was 
a massive low place for me because I also, prior to that, so I was like 35 here, at 18, I got pregnant and placed a baby for adoption. So I basically then started reliving all of that. I mean, even just the physiology of just feeling like a piece of crap, you know, how could I possibly do this? You know, um, and I think people from the outside with affairs, they always think that like, you're just like living it up when really, I mean, I started drinking to cope with the guilt. I, um, you know, we look back and we always say like, listen, you know, you really have to guard your relationships. You really shouldn't, you don't need opposite sex friendships in marriage, especially if you're going to start, you know, if you're not emotionally stable, and I would say I was a very emotionally immature person. If I look now from my therapy, very yeah. immature. So, um, you know, we, we both separated from our spouses. I did try to work it out with my, um, my husband and he was, he was great, but you know, with an affair, when you have a child involved, it's like, they have to also accept that. And it's really hard yeah. to heal the marriage when you've still got, you know, so I, I, we separated. I mean, no judgment so, with what I'm saying, but it's, it's almost like there's a continual reminder of the wound that is just there constantly. So for that, sure. how long did you guys try to, to, to navigate through that? Oh gosh, you know, my entire pregnancy, and I will say, I mean, my ex-husband, he's actually my podcast editor um, now. Wow. Um, that we do, speaks volumes. Wow. He, he's incredible. We do vacations together, but he sat with me and he said, we're at a pivotal place here in terms of your relationship with your kids. You let me do the talking when we talk about this baby that's coming into this world and how this happened, because it can make or break it. Your children can either really hate you and see this as you being like the, the ruiner of this marriage and, and really resent this unborn child, or I can take some of that on for you simply because I know how important this relationship as a mother is to you, wow. to so my you two other kids. children. You had two other children at this point. How yeah. old? Um, nine, they were nine and like 13. Wow. So they're 21 and 18 now. And, um, so it was, it was the hardest conversation, you know, to have, but he was beyond selfless. He's a Hawaiian guy. And I always joke that it's his Hawaiian wow. love that yeah. is what made him be that way. And then for the next, you know, two and a half years, he, you know, we, we were separated and we divorced, but I was still living like in that state where he was and he was in the military and he'd come over and, you know, help support and, and be around our, my daughter, Leilani, while I still was trying to unpack if I was going to be with, you know, the person I had the affair with, Eric, who's my husband now and who we, I, we own the business together. Wow. And so yes. are you guys all still friends and it's almost like one happy family? Yes, yes. Now, this kind of highlights an, an incredible level of emotional maturity that, but it sounds like that you got into this situation through a... A lack of emotional maturity. I'm totally. curious about because there would be some people. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna proceed this podcast with saying there's gonna be some people right now who are listening to this going, "Oh my fucking god, I can't believe I she did that. What a bitch!" And I'm gonna go. You know what? No, because you know nobody's ever gonna be able to live in your shoes and understand exactly what was going on. Nobody can really understand your background, which you expressed. You had you know um, you were sexually abused as a child. Um, in the Mormon church, massive levels of oppression, which in some cases can produce totally. and promote you know, dysfunctional levels of expression or different levels of expression. But it seems to me like, and you're very open, and I love that. I love that level of honesty and that level of transparency because, you know, the, 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 what is it they say? The only, the only, uh, you're only as ill as your secrets. Mm -hmm. And to me, when I meet someone like you, who's very much like me, who's just willing to put it all on the table and go, wow, this is someone who's gone and done an enormous level of work 
uh, developed an enormous level of humility that's required to be this honest, to be able to fall on their sword and to be able to admit, not just in their own social environment to their family, but to the world at large. So the question that begs to be asked is, when did you just realize that, okay, I ne- there's some work that needs to be done here. I need to do some work on myself. Oh, I, I knew, you know, when the affair came out, I mean, I knew even during it, it's like, you're just hating yourself, but you also like realize that you have so many needs that just, that, you know, are being met there. And so you're, you're extremely selfish. Like you are extremely selfish. You're not thinking of anyone but yourself, but you're also putting your head in the sand, like, hoping it's just going to go away like you know it's like it's like being at the edge of the cliff and knowing like it's coming but you don't Mm. you're just not realizing it and we both because we'd had several conversations over you know a couple years because you know he'd come to me saying i'm in love with you but i don't know how to get there and we hadn't slept together we hadn't done anything like that at that point it was just we knew we had we had an obvious emotional affair because he lived in canada he's canadian so here i was in the u.s and we were, it was always just communication via like text. And so it was really in depth in that way. But, you know, looking back and going through now years of therapy, I realized one, he had, um, he had mother issues. And so for me, I Tell really me a man that doesn't in. have mother issues. <laughs> <laughs> I came doesn't in and just included. kind of like took charge. And for me, I mean, I had the dad issues in that. I just wanted to be validated from a just, um, doing you know do the work type because it was all about the work growing up my parents were you know entrepreneurs that worked really hard and so the atta girls were so important to me to a point that even a few years ago i had a massive trigger with a coach that i realized that i um was trying to get the atta girl from him at the cost of like I was like, I mean, I went to my therapy session that week and I went, oh my gosh, he's my dad. Because he was totally (laughs) like, he was, you know, kind of narcissistic, right? And I'm like, why was I even attracted to this, you know? And she's like, it's because it's familiar to you because he was just Mm. totally a jerk to me. But I kept, you know, trying to do it. And so even with my, my husband, my current husband now, I mean, it's been, you know, 10 years since this started, but he's had to come full circle even with just the personality things in that, you know, he was kind of a dick, you know, I mean, that's kind of what attracted me to him. I mean, I love his no nonsense dickish coaching at times, but there were times where he was also in our relationship and I would, you know, seek that out. But now that's so interesting when you start looking at blueprints, because a lot of people don't understand why am I attracted to this type of a guy? Why am I attracted to this type of the girl? But when you start to look at the the paternal and the maternal blueprints of affection and the origins and genesis of intimacy for an individual, a lot of stuff starts to come to fruition and we start to understand a lot more. So at what point did you start your, your therapeutic journey? Um, I would say, you know, right. Well, I ended up getting diagnosed. So two and a half years after I had Leilani, um, I got diagnosed with stage four non-small cell lung cancer. Wow. At that time, Holy shit. I didn't I didn't know that it was like a trauma related type cancer. I didn't know anything. I knew I was a non smoker. I knew that I was just like 35. It was very shocking. I knew that I had a less than 1% five year survival rate. The first Ooh. two years, I would say, honestly, I just was like existing. I mean, I was still I mean, we were running, I was running my company, I knew how to work really hard. But I was kind of just compartmentalizing things. I wasn't yeah. dealing with it. When I started, I had Googled um, stage four non-small cell lung cancer survivors and Joe Dispenza's landing page comes up and it had someone that had like beat it. And 
this is after people had, I mean, you know, I basically was told like, you're not going to beat it. Like you're always going to be on some sort of like chemotherapy. So that's when I started, you know, to look into like trauma and how trauma affects the body. Like I knew none of that. So I started every book I could read on audio. Um, you know, I started doing, and I realized that while I'd gone to therapy, the one-to-one sessions where you talk it out, it was really more about the therapy on myself. I started doing future self journaling where I started creating a new me realizing I don't need to be this person that has no values, you know, cause I really, you know, any, I always say, if you're, if you're having an affair, you don't have core values that stand for much, you know, because you don't have integrity. And so I don't think I'd ever sat down and really mapped that out. I was a hard worker and that really ha- was going for me, but almost to, you know, I always say there's like the good side and there's the bad side of what you choose to like drive yourself. And I think my, teenage pregnancy really drove me to be like, I will never be the statistic. And so it helped me. I mean, it's how I created Curls and Way and how I always was a hustler through all those years. But it was from a place of proving. And I think that you have limits to that. You know, it's like, I want to be an eight figure earner. And I always joke that like, not joke, but I say like, you got to have an eight figure mindset, right? And I knew that it couldn't come from just a place of proving it had to come from a place of love and really like being my best self and finally having core values that I would chase. And so I just started, um, you know, doing the work, um, you know, reading everything I possibly could, writing, you know, doing lots of visualization. I got really, I call it psycho about seeing future appointments that this is what my doctor would be saying to me and mm-hmm. try to bring the feeling into it. And my husband and I just started living as if I was already going to get that result, you know, like that I was going to get the good news. So we would do things that, you know, call it faith, call it belief, whatever, like faithful practices that was telling myself, this is going to happen. You are going to beat it. In the meantime, still doing my one-to-one. I worked with um, Nicole LaPera. She now, the holistic psychologist, she doesn't even do one-to-one anymore. Yeah. So I worked with her through, um, you know, before she got really, really massive and, learned again from her. She's like, while I love having these conversations and you telling me and sharing with me it, you know, the work is doing the inner child work, you know, the mother wound, the father wound, like all of that stuff. And then I did rim therapy where I would, you know, and I didn't ever like doing the rim therapy. And I think people call it different, but you're kind of in that um, hypnotic state and they take you back, you know, they say, what age are you? And for some reason, I always go to this age, you know, six, seven years old, where I was being sexually abused, I had to go through the forgiveness, you know, what are you going to say to that person, you know, that they, they say they're sorry to you and, and going through that. And then seeing that, um, it even helped my business at the time, the person that I hired, it was because I thought I was having like some sort of mental block business wise, because I was I was kind of sabotaging myself, like we just couldn't get past, you know, right over a million dollars. And so met this coach and I'm like, I, I need you to get past this. I think maybe I have like some block with my husband. I'm always blaming it on him, of course. (laughs) And um, when in fact it was um, coming from like my childhood and, you know, forgiving myself, but also forgiving that person and how, you know, I had to learn that, you know, forgiveness is about you. It, It has nothing to do with the other person. They just move on with their life, but it's holding you back, you know? And so, Going through that um, a couple of years ago really, really opened me up. And then that's when I started to be more of an open book because I truly knew I had changed. 
You know, mm. I, you know, people had watched me through the years. I mean, they saw our affair. We were online. It was a very public, you know, affair where people hated me. I was afraid for a couple of years to even really meet other females because I thought, as you mentioned, that people would be like, oh my gosh, what a bitch. Like, you know, I can't believe she'd do that. And, you know, I never thought that I would do something like this either. Like, it's not, you know what I mean? I think that's the thing that the never say never is such a, mm. a dangerous thing, you know, really to is. to claim, right? And so is judgment because one of the things I've discovered, and maybe this is just me, but I find with almost, um, I would say with 99% serendipitous accuracy, whenever I find myself judging someone for a specific behavior, I will find myself within six to 12 months in a situation where I now have to realize, holy crap, I'm now on some level demonstrating aspects or levels of expression of that behavior that I was judging someone for, you know, only six to 12 months ago. Do you relate to that at all? Oh my gosh, 100%. And growing up, you know, Mormon, I feel like they're extremely judgmental and it's just part of like their belief system, right? Even down to like my, my Mohawk. So this is something that years ago, I would have judged. I mean, I'm I'm so honest with people now. It sometimes like almost like shocks them when I say you're a trigger for me, and I know exactly why you're <laughs> triggering me, and it's totally me. But yeah. I remember seeing someone a decade ago with like pink hair, and in my head, I thought, isn't she a little bit too old for that? Like that was in my head. And you know, a few years ago, I had purple hair, and I was at my kid's school, and I knew that these women were like talking about me, and I'm like coming back to go. me yeah. you know and, and now it's it's taught me a lot of lessons about just judgments and you know i mean i think i've read judgment detox by gabby bernstein like three times because it's like everything about it you know really says more about you right absolutely so you've been through a lot so you were sexually abused at the age of around six you were mm -hmm. pregnant at 18 and put the child up for adoption yes. um then overweight um unhealthy unhappy two kids, uh, had an affair, had the child from the affair, went through a separation and subsequent divorce with the support of your now ex-husband and yes. over a two-year period then reconciled and developed a relationship with the person you had the affair with and you now have an ongoing relationship and marriage. Have you had more kids? No, we just have Leilani. So she's, she's nine now and wow. um, no more kids, but between the two of us. So we have a blended family of five. And, um, you know, we, we all live and together. So I guess probably something that's on a lot of people's mind right now is how did you, first of all, explain it to your original two kids? And then we'll get to Leilani in terms of, you know, what her understanding of the context of mum and dad is and how they got together and how she was born is now. But with your first two kids, what are then, do you mind if I ask their names or maybe we should leave that out? Oh yeah, you can say it. So, um, I'll tell you their full names cause I never get to do this. Um, my 21 year old is Kainoa Malalo Kainui. That's his first oh, name. Oh my Lord. <laughs> wow. Kai for short. Yeah. Okay. That's nice. <laughs> and my 18 year old is Kamele Onalani, my Na'anela, Kamele for short. Wow. That's yeah. What beautiful names. Hawaiian. Yes. Yeah. Very, um, very Hawaiian. They, you know, looking back when we told them, so my third, you know, Kai at the time, he knew how, you know, babies were made. And, you know, so he didn't ask a lot of questions. Now, Camelia was very interesting because Eric was in our lives. So he was already part of like, you know, their, you know, him and Laura came side. over and we, we hung out and she almost, you know, I would be safe to say she almost kind of had a crush on him as like a little kid because he was charming and, you know, paid attention to her. And, you know, like she just she really, you know, it's like that little kid type playfulness. 
So when we had to tell, you know, her that I was, I had, I was having a baby, she was like, but how are you having, you know, a baby with Eric? Like, how does that work? You know, she didn't really, she, she just assumed that when you're married, that's just what, you know, you, you yeah. have sex with just that person. So then when he came down to visit, like we waited, you know, a, quite a while. I think I was like seven months pregnant before he even came down, came down for one of my appointments. And, um, Kimeli completely gave him the silent treatment. She wouldn't even look at him. She wouldn't even speak to him. And so my ex-husband, you know, at the time he came over to the house and he intentionally was extremely friendly with Eric and showed that he was great with him, even though they still had not healed the wounds at that point. But yeah. he knew for the sake of, because he said, you know, Kimeli's at an age where she's going to feel like at a crossroads. She feels loyal yeah. to her daddy. Yeah, but yeah there's this guy here. And so she started, you know, to, to warm up. Now, I think women I just handle gotta it differently. Say, on, a, on a little side note there, what an incredible example of unconditional love that you have given your, your kids at this point, because the totally. kids absorb this and they learn their judgments through our parent, their parents' judgments. And what an incredible holistic level of acceptance. So carry on. I just wanted to drop that on you. Yeah. Oh, I mean, Eric, I mean, Kevin is one of the best examples. I always say that to people that I'm like, if all people could behave that way, and I don't think it's easy to do, obviously, no, no. um, you know, it, the world would be really incredible because I see the way our family is now. And it truly is because it's not because of me and Eric, it's because of our exes. Now, Laura, it took her longer. She didn't want the kids to meet. So after I'd had Leilani, she didn't want her to because she's got they had. Um, so Leilani's nine, they mm -hmm. had an 11 year old, they have 11, we have an 11 year old and 12 year old. So they were only like, wow. two and three. So this is real close in age. And um, she didn't want them meeting. And Leilani's first birthday was coming up and we, you know, Eric finally said, Hey, I really think that just for the sake of the kids, the longer that you wait, the someday the kids are going to come back and say, why did you keep me from my siblings? Why, you know, didn't mm -hmm. you allow that? So she, she did come around and then really around two years old is when I think she, you know, she went through therapy and counseling and learned a lot about how her having that unforgiveness was holding her back, you know, mm -hmm. making her miserable and I mean, fast forward when we used to take business trips before COVID, you know, Laura watches Leilani. She keeps her at her house. She treats her like her, you know, I mean, she, you know, Leilani calls her an auntie. She knows completely how this happened. And she knows that, you know, we weren't married and that we crossed a line. And, you know, we talked to our kids a lot about having like relational boundaries, you know, and that it's important to respect each other, you know, because I think that looking back, you know, Laura was very passive. She knew that she didn't feel good with us, say, going to the football game together, but didn't have enough boldness to say that to her husband. And my so husband was just clueless. Like he really was. Cause when I told him who I was having the affair with, he goes, who I said, Eric, he goes, as in Eric, Eric, like there was no red flags for him. Whereas wow. Laura knew immediately. Yeah. Right. That's incredible. That's, uh, yeah. and so when we look at Laura now, or what, actually, no, when we look at the kids in general, and this is more of a, I guess you could say an abstract question. Do you find your kids, um, express the level of their vulnerability and honesty, 
um, and inclusiveness that they've essentially been brought up with or are they still healing some of those wounds? Because it seems to me like you're healing a lot of wounds so that in front of the kids, so in many ways they don't have to carry these wounds with them. It can in most cases end with you, in some cases with their support. How is that affecting well, I, them and their development? Now much better. Now right when we told them, I think it was much like how my parents were, which is like, you tell what you have to. Because when I when I got pregnant in high school, for example, I remember my parents telling my siblings, and then we never spoke about it again. So they were open and honest. And then when I placed a baby, that was never spoken about again. And I had a lot of like, you know, anger as of a few years ago of like, just how much I never healed from that. Now, this is kind of when I call it my midlife crisis about maybe four years ago now when I realized, oh my gosh, I'm that emotionally immature parent. I'm the parent that like doesn't like to have the hard conversations and doesn't do it. So we planned a trip to Mexico. We took our two older kids with us and I said, I'm in the middle of a midlife crisis and I'm about to like just completely be different with you guys. I don't show the emotion like I want to because I, I had a hard time even telling like my 21 year old that I loved him because I never really saw that growing up. We we had a really pretty, it wasn't like that. And I felt awkward doing it. So I even said to him, I go, I feel really awkward doing this because I just, I never had this. I didn't, you know, so I might have to start with some emojis and then we're going to have to move into the, <laughs> I love yous. <laughs> and my kids now, I mean, I'm extremely open now where we do have the hard conversations and, you know, anyone that probably meets us, you know, my daughter's been on my podcast. We had a massive meltdown a couple of years ago. She was like 17, 16 at the time. And I had a trigger, not realizing it was a trigger. I had prior to picking her up, I'd had a phone call with my mom where she obviously dumped a lot on me. I go to pick up my my daughter and she doesn't get my order right on something, which something that would normally never, you know, cause an issue. But obviously not unpacking any of that stuff and bring it in. Long story short, we get in this huge argument where she ends up having like breathe heavy panic attack with her three girlfriends in the back of our car. Oh, and wow. uh we laugh about it now because we yeah. recorded a podcast about it where it's like, you don't, if you don't get awareness of, you know, one creating boundaries around like what could possibly trigger you, things like that. Now, I mean, we're going to have another podcast soon together where I'm like, let's talk about our little meltdown we had a couple weeks ago. She's like, okay, let's do it. You know, because That's she sees, so she doesn't cool. because she doesn't judge herself for it. I don't either. Yeah. Like I tell her yeah. sometimes I'm a hot mess, but I'm always working to be better. And if I can get, away from the judgment quicker, I can heal myself faster. If you stay in the shame, because I truly believe that's how my cancer was on set, is just years of shame from first my pregnancy in high school. I mean, they even call it, you know, in the Mormon church, like, you know, I place that baby for adoption. And then I, you know, they, they talk about you not being worthy. They even use those words. You're not worthy to go into the temple. You're not worthy to be an upstanding Mormon. And so I just wore a bunch of unworthiness. And so I never want to pass it on to my kids. I really work hard to show them unconditional love because I, I too can be that six year old inside where I had my daughter once I'd asked her to French braid my hair and um, she was busy teenager. Right. And she was finally, we get ready to leave for school and she goes, Oh yeah, mom, sorry. And we get in the car and old me was like, I don't even want to speak to her. How would she just do this to me? Like I do everything for her. I have a roof. Like I'm thinking this in my head and I'm like, Amy, you have an opportunity right now. Just be completely normal. Like just pour into her the love. Right. So that's what I did the whole way to school. I was just like, Oh, have a great day. 
what was so crazy was who texted me at 11 o'clock that morning from school? She goes, hey, mom, tomorrow I'll make sure I get up a little bit earlier and I'll French braid your hair. And I thought, oh, wow, the wow. old me, I would have guilted her and I would have been this authoritative parent, how I was for years. Whereas mm -hmm. me, it was like pushing love onto your kids. Man, they just want to do everything for you. Mm, wow. So looking at that with the kids, what type of how has the relationship evolved with your kids now versus before? I mean, now they say that you, I act. Yeah, go ahead. Just now that I have real conversations with them, that we talk yeah. about emotions. We talk about, you know, it's okay to feel them, you know, because I also was taught never to cry, not to be, you know, you got to be tough and, you know, um, and, and to not judge themselves for them, you know, because I, you know, that when I had the meltdown with um, Kamele and she started having like a panic attack, my first thoughts inside was, oh my gosh, I've, I've failed as a mom because I've not even taught her how to emotionally handle things. She's not like, if this happened in any other situation, she's completely an emotional, you know, wreck. And I don't want that for her, you know? So teaching your kids to do the work on themselves. You know, I, um, my kids do these daily agreement cards, something that I do every day, which is you have an agreement in four areas. You have a behavior agreement, an activity agreement, a nutrition agreement, and a personal and a growth agreement. So you bang out oh, like a daily agreement card and they, you know, my nine-year-old does them and my 18-year-old does them. And, and it teaches them that that's how you build your confidence. Like you build it through keeping your word to yourself on the smallest of things. Mm. And that builds an enormous level of self-worth as well because they start to realize they're worthy of following totally. through on those commitments. Yes. So you've done a lot of work. Um, <laughs> you've been to hell and back, literally. I'm pretty sure it was even in the big book. Um, but I am curious to know, what are some of the practical things? Because even just those four agreement cards, that sounds like a very practical aspect of your life that promotes not only healing but a continual you know evolution of self and emotional and mental maturity what are some of the other things that you do from a routine perspective that either you do when you identify a trigger or that you do just as a general routine in order to you know maintain an equilibrium that enables you to to move forward two things i create characters now eventually you evolve hopefully into them but i've created characters in all of my life i have a best self character i have my cancer character i have my health character and i write out specifics on you know pen to paper of what are the attributes of this character how does this person show up what does she look like and i look at those i study them i read them all the time so that i eventually become those those people all the time the other thing I do, I call it anchoring, but it's, you know, the practice of changing your state and vision. I'm very obsessed with this where, um, for example, when my feet touch the carpet in the morning, I squish my feet on the carpet and I go to my gratitude. Now, in order to get the gratitude to connect, I do that about 50 times over and over and over with like getting into the emotion. So that eventually as my feet hit the floor, I go right to it. And I have several mm. of those throughout the day that, you know, in my old house now that we've moved here i don't have it yet but when i turned the the tire onto our driveway i would practice gratitude right then and i, I but like to get to that gratitude i'd have to drive it you know 50 times because then in the in in the world of distraction you have a place to you know using landmarks to change your state or vision and so i did that a lot through my cancer journey and now i use it for you know health like how do you how do you change that because so many people want things they say like i mean i've learned this through fat loss it's like i would do anything to lose this weight 
two hours later, they're buying a donut. You know, they're, they're forgetting that a lot of it's patterning and it's, it's all mindset. And so mm. for me, it's like, if you're afraid of the change, especially your brain and doesn't like the pain or the change of that, create these characters. What does your best self health character do in this situation? Well, she's certainly not going to go get a donut. And then for some reason, it's like your brain doesn't see it as a threat because it sees it as you're just playing a role. And it's been massive for me. I mean, I, I've named them. I have, you know, pictures with them. Um, and then I even write out circumstantial things that they do. You know, I was at the airport one day, 7 a.m. And I go to grab a Diet Coke to buy it. And I'm like, okay, my health character would so be buying water. And I bought the water and it didn't even feel nearly as uncomfortable because <laughs> it was almost like I was playing the role. How many characters do you have just out of curiosity? I have five. <laughs> That's so I have a spiritual cool. one, a best self. I have a business one. Like, and I named them like my business one is Renee Blakely after a girl Renee and Sarah Blakely. And so yeah, when wow. I'm at like a mastermind and I'm feeling, cause I'm, I'm an introvert extrovert. So if I'm at a big mastermind, like yeah. I... I don't want to talk to people. I have to go to my room to like, you know, that's where I get my energy, but I'll go yeah. back. I'll anchor my character. And then I walk back in the room and it's like a role I'm playing. Wow. I love that. I think a lot of people can relate to that. I know I can as well. I'm ambivert as well. Like I feel more comfortable talking to 10,000 people on a stage than I do four strangers um, <laughs> at, a, at a barbecue. So I can completely relate. I think one thing that a lot of people are going to find really interesting is you're, you've overcome cancer. Are you free and clear now of the cancer? I am. January Which 8th. A, January 8th, what year? Of this year. Wow. So this is still it's quite a recent, recent. Yes. A recent um, conquest. And this is for a cancer that had a 1% survival rate over five years. Yes. So you yeah, literally I, I, are in the 1%. I am. I mean, we moved to Florida for my lung. I, ha I was supposed to have lung surgery on um, January 20th. And so I moved down here from Canada, our whole family, because we knew that this was going to be a serious recovery. And I needed to be with better doctors down here anyways, because this has been seven years and $2 million of you know money we've put towards my wow. health. And um, I kept, I, I had even done a podcast in December. I said, I'm not going to need surgery. Like, because I truly believe like, what does it hurt to have the belief? Because in the meantime, mm. the belief makes you feel good. And so I just kept the faith really high. And I got the call January 8th. I'd had scans and everything earlier that week. And they're like, you're not going to believe this, but the tumor on your lung is completely gone. We don't even have an explanation for this. And so that was, you know, the second, I call it my second Hail Mary, because in 2018, I had something very similar. And, uh, you know, just changed my whole perspective on everything. I don't, I don't fear nearly as much anymore, like asking, say to like, I want to, I want to have Carol Ray on my podcast, because I'm like, done. what's the, well, you're coming in May. I'm excited. <laughs> there we go. It's happening. <laughs> it's already happening. See, that's how powerful you are. You created it on the spot. Um, it's so interesting, because I, I had, um, I don't know how much you know about my story, but I had a stroke in 2009. Uh, and it was almost a three centimeter um, uh, piece of scar tissue that was left on my uh, right superior parietal lobe. And what was interesting is the doctors had said at the time, oh, um, neural, neural tissue doesn't regenerate. Once you've got scar tissue there, it's scar tissue for life. You know, we're now discovering there's this, you know, this concept called neuroplasticity and the brain might be able to make up different parts of itself and different functions that you will lose or have lost. But what was interesting in uh, November 2018, I had another MRI done uh, by a doctor who just wanted to do a follow-up and have a look at you know the, the the brain for a whole range of other reasons. But he had also seen the original scans that showed this you know this 20 cent piece size 
um, giant glowing piece of white scar tissue. And all of a sudden, he pulled out the 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 films, and he literally was like, he kept going through them, and he said, the scar tissue's gone. And he goes, and but what's interesting is, you know, and I'm pretty sure you've done enough Google searches to realize this kind of stuff happens a lot. But in the medical community, it's like it's fucking, you know, it never happens. And he was sitting there going, you don't understand what this means. This is impossible. Do you understand what this means? I was like, dude, I've done enough Google searches to know I'm not in a fucking category on my own here. There's a lot of people. But a lot of doctors are just so surprised when the miraculous does happen that um, they think in many cases it is miraculous, which it is. But it's not necessarily as uncommon as what people would think. But in terms of the, the routines and the practices, because there might be people out there right now that are suffering autoimmune. There might be people out there suffering from cancers or some form of condition, whether it be terminal or just, you know, life affecting. What, and it sounds to me like you learned a lot from Dr. Joe, who is an incredible mm-hmm. guy. But what are some of the routines or some of the practices, and it sounds like you've alluded to some already, that you did on the regular basis that you believe contributed to this, what would be considered a miraculous healing? Meditation, prayer, um, breath work, um, you know, going through the, the, the healing pr- process. I know, it, you know, people think it's so crazy when I say that, but you're seeing so many of these people with autoimmune issues that if they get into therapy and they actually go through like this trauma, you know, forgiving, like on the other side, they don't even need medication. Like, I think we've, we've just used this Western medicine so much, me included, like I was afraid to, to not use it. And I'm like, we have so much more power than, you know, we have all realized. And they're starting to study that. MD Anderson has a whole wing now where they're studying group prayer, the power of group prayer um, on, you know, people in the future and how it's healing them. And like, it's crazy. So it's, you know, some people are like, oh, great, Amy, here you go with the crazy stuff. But it's, it's happening and they don't have explanations for it other than that we were created and designed to heal ourselves. Mm. Incredible story. Um, best piece of advice you've either received or that you give people? That you can create a new you. You know, you talked about the neuroplasticity. Like, I, I wish I could go back to elementary school where they told us, like, here's your brain and it's fixed this way. Like, you don't have to be the person that you maybe dislike or or, or don't like. Like, we don't have to have the the, the, the fixed, you know, around it. It takes work. I mean, I've worked a lot on, I do a lot of the future self journaling and visualizing the future me, but it's completely possible. I want to I want to acknowledge you, um, Amy. I want to congratulate you. Uh, I want to honor your honesty, your transparency, your humility, your vulnerability. Um, and to anyone who's listening to this who still feels the need to judge you in this moment, fuck you. Um, because for real, it takes an enormous level of courage, not only to do the work that you've done, because it seems to me you've been through the depths of physical pain, mental pain, emotional pain, social pain, you know, familial pain. And, you know, for a lot of people, they would have backed away from that and maybe chosen a different route, but you leaned in and I want to honor that. I want to acknowledge the courage that's required to do that. And, um, yeah, I really would encourage anyone to, um, you know, who needs a little bit of support and inspiration to check you out. You've got a podcast. Now, I'm going to be on this podcast, so we should probably yes. do this podcast. And the podcast, it's, it's actually, it's very timely with what I just said, because I just said, for those who are still judging you, fuck you. But the podcast is called <laughs> Fuck It. So this sounds like my kind of podcast. I, I, I literally think I was made for this podcast. So tell us about your podcast. 
Well, and I named it that to kind of trigger my mom because it was so funny. She was like, <laughs> Amy, you know, um, but it, it's about faith, family, forgiveness, food, fitness, and then formula. Because I'm a big believer in that. It can't just be I the woo-woo. That. You got to actually do the work. And, you know, it's uh, I, I bring on people that I, I love mindset hacks essentially, mm. because I think a lot of people that are attracted to me want to know how to change themselves, how to get out of their way, how to, you know, not just like survive. I didn't want to just be a cancer survivor. I wanted to be like the overcomer that goes down in the books. And so, cancer thriver. You know, yeah, yeah. You're not here to survive. You're here to thrive. Exactly. I love it. Amy Ladine, you are an absolute gorgeous human being inside and out. Where can people find more about you? Where can people find out more about your podcast? Well, you can find me on all platforms. You know, if you type out Effit or Amy and Amy Ladine, and then on Instagram, it's like my favorite place to be. It's definitely not my monetized <laughs> place. We are definitely a Facebook, you know, uh, yes, kind of group as Lean Bodies Consulting. But if you look for Amy underscore Ladine, that's where I play the most. Fantastic. Amy, thank you so much for your time. I've really thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I dare say we're not only going to talk again on your podcast, but who knows, we might talk again on this one as well. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been Unstoppable and you've been listening to Amy Ladine. Thank you so much. This episode is brought to you by Nail It and Scale It, the world's leading fast growth program for businesses. If you have ever wanted to grow your business faster than what you can right now, if you need to make more revenue, if you need more leads, if you need more clients, if you need to know how to plan your business in a strategic way in order to hit big goals, if you need to learn how to scale your business and grow your team and your business so that you have more freedom, then this program is for you. Imagine three days immersed with me where we cover all aspects of business, but we do it from an immersive but also an execution standpoint. We execute every step of the way and we're looking at five key areas we're looking at your psychology we're looking at your marketing your sales your leadership and we're looking at your planning and how we integrate these five key areas to grow your business and your brand quickly so if you'd like to find out more information kerwinray.com